Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Finance Minister will present an economic update in less than two weeks. We know it's important to Canadians that we are careful and transparent with our nation's finances. That's why I'm pleased to announce that I will be giving an economic and fiscal update to Canadians on December 14th. New pandemic travel measures leave Canadian travellers confused. Canadians understand that it's important to take precautions for travel with appropriate safety measures. But these safety measures and precautions have to be clear and consistent. And that's been the ongoing critique of this government. And the U.S. changes its requirements for COVID testing for visitors. It used to be that international travel flying to the United States, traveler flying to the United States, had to test negatively three days before their departure from the, uh, that country. Well, I'm announcing today that all inbound international travelers must test within one day of departure. It's Friday, December 3rd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. Good morning, Joanna. Good morning, Mark. So we're going to get a fiscal update on December 14th, and this comes at a time when there's a lot of talk about inflation and government spending and interest rates. So what do you expect we'll hear when, when Christia Freeland presents this in less than two weeks? Well, the, the messages that we're hearing from economists that are coming from the finance department are pointing to a minimalist update instead of one with many new spending measures. Um, and I think that's to be expected because the last budget, the campaign trail, the last fiscal update, there's been a lot of spending. You know, the federal finances have really taken a beating during the pandemic. The government predicted the deficit for the last fiscal year would be about $354 billion, um, another $155 billion this year. Um, and there's this aid package, the $7 billion aid package in support for workers affected by lockdowns that the government's trying to push through as well. So, you know, the Conservatives have really been playing a lot of politics with this. They've been blaming uh, inflation on the Liberals. It's not really totally cause and effect. There's inflation right around the world right now. But that doesn't mean that there isn't anything for the Liberals to be concerned about um, or that they shouldn't keep in mind. So our reporter, Jordan Press, was speaking to Robert Astley at the Business Council of Canada, and he's actually helped craft Liberal budgets in, uh, in years past. And he was saying, you know, combining all the, the spending, this, you know, $100 billion uh, stimulus program, another $53 billion in net new spending promised on the campaign trail, combine that with some of the savings that Canadians have now due to things like, you know, everything from small things like not having to buy lunch every day to, hmm. to not traveling on vacations. He says, you know, you just want to be careful not to fuel more consumption, more demand, and make inflation worse. So... That's sort of the the atmosphere that we're working with right now. Um, Inflation is there. And then, you know, the pandemic's clearly not gone. And we have things like the B.C. flooding. So, you know, it's time for for this update on on the finances. And I'll note also it's going to be coming just just three days before MPs are scheduled to leave Ottawa for the winter break. So there's not a lot of time for them to talk about it. Yeah. All right. We'll watch for that. Uh, Let's talk about the COVID-19 situation. There are a number of developments worth exploring. And one of, a couple of them relate to travel uh, for Canadians and for people coming into the country from outside Canada. And because of the Omicron variant, uh, the government is scrambling to put new rules in place for international travelers. And that's created some confusion, hasn't it? 
It has, yeah. And, you know, I've just been thinking that it wasn't that long ago that travelers were really celebrating the reopening of the Canada-U.S. border and then uh, the Canadian government's decision to lift the PCR testing requirement for fully vaccinated travelers returning to Canada from, from short trips. And then along came Omicron and everything is, is up in the air again. Um, so first on the U.S. side, as early as Monday, Canadians and all their foreign visitors who travel to the U.S. by air will need to get a COVID-19 test uh, no later than a day before their departure. And the current requirement is three days for fully vaccinated travelers. So that's a a really, really hard thing to do. Um, You know, we were speaking to travel insurance brokers who were saying that walking into a pharmacy and getting a test that you can be guaranteed to get your results within 24 hours um, and then and then a board a flight is is kind of dicey um, there are quicker options available but they cost you know about 355 350 so yeah that can throw a wrench in things the interesting thing however is that currently fully vaccinated travelers don't need to show a test result to drive into the u.s and our Washington correspondent, James McCartan, really spent some time trying to figure this out, um, whether they were planning to change that at all. So it was really interesting to see that Biden, uh, the White House press secretary, and a background briefing on these new rules, there was no mention whatsoever of whether that would change in the coming days or weeks. So that's something to watch. On Canada's side, everyone coming into the country from anywhere except the United States now has to take a PCR test at the airport, even if they're fully vaccinated and then quarantine until the negative result comes in. And you're right, there's been some confusion on that. Um, There's a lot of confusion at the airports because the policy, they announced it on Tuesday and they said it was effective immediately, but airports weren't, in fact, actually really ready to implement them. So, you know, Toronto's Pearson International Airport was telling travellers on Twitter that it was still waiting for more details on the new requirements. You know, they said the new mandate hasn't been yet made official by our federal government, which was probably would be a surprise to the federal government and insist that it was official, right? Um, but in terms of uh, how this all rolls out, I think there's a lot of confusion. And then also you are, as I understand it, you're tested at the airport you first land in uh, and land at, but then if you need to board a flight to go elsewhere, then you're obviously on that flight during a time that you're supposed to be isolating. Um, and that is something that seems to be happening as well, which I think a lot of people are, are asking whether that makes sense. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out, because I know, first of all, that a lot of people are asking friends and colleagues, hey, what happened when you crossed the border and or when you came back? And uh, but the rules are always changing. So that information becomes obsolete fairly quickly. And as you pointed out, that requirement of uh, of having a shot with a test rather within 24 hours of uh, going into the United States is going to be very logistically challenging for a lot of people. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. Now, let's talk for a moment about booster shots, because we are expecting uh, today the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, the NACI, to provide some new recommendations. Uh, tell us about that. That's right. And this is in response to the threat of, of that new variant, Omicron, um, that has sparked those tougher border measures around the world. So at the same time that the government announced these new, these new travel measures, um, they also said that they had issued an urgent request to that advisory committee for new directives on the criteria for who is eligible for a COVID-19 booster. So right now, the committee's current advice is that they strongly recommend boosters for people who are immunocompromised, who live in long-term care centers, and people over the age of 80. And they also recommend to be offered to some other groups, people over the age of 70, 
people who received a full series of the Oxford AstraZeneca or Janssen vaccine, people in or from Indigenous communities, and frontline health workers. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they recommend now. Now, of course, as has been the case throughout uh, the vaccine campaign, many provinces have just gone ahead with their own COVID-19 booster strategy that is um, offering more than what uh, the committee recommended. So Ontario, for example, announced yesterday it's going to offer it to anyone over the age of 50 beginning December 13th. Um, and Alberta, for example, is phasing them in for everyone over the age of 18 um, by the time the new year rolls around. Now, this whole issue of boosters um, does also raise questions for a lot of people about vaccine equity around the world. I think, you know, people are grappling and governments are grappling with this idea of do we give extra vaccines to people here, um, which obviously you can understand the domestic politics of that, um, or do we give them to under-vaccinated parts of the world so that we don't keep seeing these new variants develop, pop up, and require um, us to change our course again? Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting point. I, I'll be fascinated to see the discussion around that. Um, all right, finally, Joanna, um, let's wrap up with an interesting ruling from the Speaker of the House of Commons. And um, the, the, there was a lot of debate about whether uh, MPs should should be required to be vaccinated to enter the House of Commons, whether that uh, represented a violation of their rights and, and their privileges as MPs. Um, but uh, it, they're, they're, the method in which this ruling was arrived at, um, uh, this decision was arrived at by the Board of Internal Economy of the House of Commons, uh, the Speaker actually sided with the Conservatives on this. Now, it's kind of a moot point because of uh, a vote that has taken place since then, but it's it's still an interesting ruling, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And um, as you say, it's, it's it's a moot point now. So so essentially, yeah, the Speaker, Anthony Rhoda, said that the Board of Internal Economy overstepped its authority when it required anyone entering the Commons precinct to be fully vaccinated. Now, given the House of Commons, you know, Liberals and NDP, you know, supported this motion to approve the resumption of hybrid sittings. I mean, that motion also specified that anyone entering the precinct must be fully immunized against COVID-19 or have a valid medical exemption. So, of course, that would have overwritten any sort of opposition to to this motion. But it was really interesting to see because I think it sets up potential debate for the next time. You know, Parliament hasn't decided that they're going to have hybrid Parliament forever, right? These things have expiry dates, so it could it could be interesting to see to see next time what happens. Um, now, Rhoda also said that it, it, it is important to consider the context of the board's decision, um, which was taken before the Commons had resumed sitting and was intended to keep people safe once they did return to work. So, so that mm. was sort of an interesting point he made. Um, and then, yeah, the Conservatives had the option to follow up on the Speaker's ruling with a motion to either censure the board or refer the matter to a Commons committee, um, but it chose not to move a motion. So the Speaker's office said later that uh, the Speaker now considers the matter closed. But we'll see what happens next time. All right. Joanna, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on all of this today. Thanks for having me on. That's Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the conversation, Dmitry Anastakis argues, Canada must grab its share of the auto industry, despite U.S. protectionism. Anastakis writes, As the global auto industry spends hundreds of billions of dollars to completely retool for an electric vehicle future, how will Canada ensure it benefits from the current spending spree? 
The Canadian auto sector faces an existential threat. It will take some aggressive diplomacy and innovative policymaking by governments and stakeholders to ensure that Canada doesn't miss out on the most important wave yet of automotive investment. At National Newswatch, Jim Gray argues fighting climate change is a team effort. Gray writes, The UN Climate Change Conference should be motivation to think bigger and think creatively. This is where startups fit in. There are endless opportunities for Canadian clean tech and sustainable companies to grow and scale up. Governments need to do more to help these startups reach their full potential so we can accelerate towards a greener economy. Climate change is a challenge that governments can no longer address on their own. And by supporting innovative startups, they no longer need to. In the Hamilton Spectator, Jeff Russ argues, Canada is not truly a bilingual nation. Russ writes, Bilingualism is a federal government initiative, and it's their job alone to improve it. The government announced it will spend roughly $120 million over three years on language education, plus $80 million for provinces to do the same. Combined, it amounts to 0.04% of the $497 billion federal budget for 2021. That alone speaks volumes about how much Parliament and the Prime Minister's office really care for bilingualism. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will participate in a virtual question-and-answer session with health advocate Sabrina Vora-Miller, where he will respond to questions from parents and children about vaccines. Ministers and government officials will hold a news conference in Ottawa to provide an update on COVID-19. And International Trade Minister Mary Ng continues her visit to Washington, D.C. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, December 3rd. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.